Remember back to the first time you rode your bicycle? The fear? The insecurity you felt? People helped you along and kept you from falling. You would start to get it, but then you would look down at your front tire. You would start to get nervous and you would look around for your parents. Your balance would begin to falter and panic would set in, and ultimately you would fall. You would get back up. You would get back on and you would try again. And you begin to pedal, and slowly you understand why there's a barrier. You understand that the problem is you. You keep looking back. You keep looking down. And it's when you keep your eyes up and ahead that your bicycle begins to balance out. This week on the Human Conservation Podcast, we're at the beginning of the road. We will be taking a look at our own self-awareness and those little voices that whisper in our ears. The Human Conservation Podcast. With host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, nature, science, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome to the Human Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Corby, and this is part six of our Foundations of Human Conservation series. Last week, we completed the structure of human conservation with our discussion on redemption. If you missed it and you have a chance, you should really head back and give it a listen. Up till now, human conservation may just sound like good old Christian faith, and that's certainly a big part of it. But this week, we're going to start our journey. And over the next five episodes, it's going to begin to take shape. So let's get started. Every person who claims to be Christian, whether a new believer or one who has walked in the faith for many years, has had a starting point. That moment they became aware of Christ as a living presence in their hearts, minds, and souls. Some become aware out of desperation. Perhaps they were in a bad place in their lives dealing with addiction or mental illness. Others may have had a more subtle road to the Lord, coming to know Him through study and experience. Some may have been raised in the faith and felt the presence of God from their earliest memories. The gentleman that I consider the man who led me to the Lord stated that when he was first called by the Lord, he felt as though a great physical weight was lifted from his shoulders. I mentioned David Berkowitz last week, the son of Sam. He described this experience similarly. He said that he felt as if a heavy but invisible chain had been lifted off his shoulders. My experience was such that when I asked Christ into my life, I didn't feel anything physical, and in my own unbelief, I felt as though nothing had changed. It wasn't until a few days later that I realized the conviction I felt when I was viewing pornography. Never had I acknowledged that as sin and a detriment to my own soul, and I was embarrassed. Even alone, I was just embarrassed. That conviction entered me at the time Christ entered me. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but unfortunately, there's a side effect that can sometimes occur when we become so overjoyed and become filled with hope and the love of Christ that we want to share it with everyone. In the first book of Mark, starting at verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. At some time or another, we've all come across the leper that was healed. Those new Christians that are so filled with the Spirit and so on fire for God that not only do they acknowledge their own sin, but the sin in everyone else's life as well. And they begin telling you that you need to turn it around or you need to give this up or that up. And rather than bringing people closer to God through their conversion, they end up turning them off and driving them farther away. Just as the leper, rather than going to the priest and keeping his mouth shut, he told everyone that would listen, and as a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town, and he had to set up shop in what's described as lonely places. You don't want your love and appreciation to ever drive Jesus outside the city. The best testimony that you can give is the life that you lead. The people that you're trying to reach will see a difference in you, and they will naturally want to know more. Now, the moment of self-awareness is also a critical time for a new believer for this reason, that once you call Christ to you, it's only a matter of time before Satan becomes aware of you as well. Yes, part of becoming self-aware is understanding that the devil is a very real part of faith, and there's about as many interpretations of Satan as there is in Christianity as a whole. He is that little voice that whispers in your ear, it's okay to have just one cigarette, when deep down you know you're going to be buying a pack on the way home. Yes, I fell for this several times before I was finally able to quit smoking. Hollywood often depicts the devil as a red-skinned being with horns and a pitchfork or some other demonic-looking thing. Uh, I always saw it differently. I always saw the devil as being about deceit, swindling, and misdirection. He's smooth, someone or something that we're drawn to in the flesh. Like he's that, he's that hot girl when you're away on a business trip and your wife and kids are at home. Maybe your marriage has been shaky and that little voice convinces you she's never going to find out. Or maybe it's that lottery ticket in the window of the deli that promises a fortune when you have very little money. Maybe it's two tickets or three and now you have even less money. Along with being aware of Christ in you, you also have to be aware of the snares that look to prevent a life well lived. Becoming self-aware to Christ also means becoming self-aware that there will be forces that will try and prevent you from getting to Christ. Before I had drawn close to the Lord, there was a period of time in my life which I was bound to the chains of pornography and spent most of my time in adult clubs. It's easy to sit back and wonder why someone would do that. Just get up and do something else, people would say to me. This came to a head when the financial strain of the lifestyle caught up with me and a bill came in to pay the taxes on my car. If I didn't pay the taxes, my registration was going to be revoked, my car would be useless, and worst of all, I didn't have the money to pay. A friend and a good Christian man, the same man that would lead me to Jesus, the same person who had the great weight lifted off his shoulders a couple of years before, stepped up and offered the money to bail me out. 
I felt so guilty that I had to come clean and explain to him why I didn't have the money. I was honest about the strip clubs and the internet pornography, and I told him that that's why I couldn't take the money from him. That only made him all the more insistent on helping me, and he gave me the money. But what he gave me was far more valuable than money. What he gave me was a seed. The devil is patient. I was tricked into believing that I wasn't worthy to be helped. Self-awareness is also the knowledge that you are worthy just as you are right now in this moment. Christ is more patient than the devil. Be aware that you will make mistakes and step wrong, but don't let that voice whisper and say, See, I told you you couldn't do it. Understand that the Lord did not create you just to condemn you. Sometime in the next year after I took my friend's loan, I was walking closer and closer to God. I was resisting my sin more and more often, which led me to a better place financially. I was able to pay back that loan. In these days, we're talking about the mid-90s, getting a cell phone was not always an easy process, and if your credit score wasn't good, most companies required you to put down a deposit, usually around 250 bucks. I finally had enough money for the deposit, and I went to get my new cell phone. And to my surprise, I was told that my credit score was good, and I didn't need to leave the deposit. Unfortunately, the first thought was, hey, I can have a great night at the club this weekend. And as I walked out of the phone store and I was crossing the parking lot to where my car was parked, a car pulled up alongside of me and a guy asked me if I had a second. He had a thick Italian accent and he proceeded to pull out a bunch of these big wintry coats uh, from the backseat of his car. Now, I'm no fashion designer, but these were some of the ugliest coats that I had ever seen in my life. And he was asking hundreds of dollars for some of these things. He was pushy and he was frantic and he seemed to get upset every time I told him I wasn't interested. And finally, I had to get really firm with the guy and say, look, man, I'm not buying a coat. I don't need a coat. And he just broke down and started crying right there in front of me. I had no idea what to do. And then he started to explain that he was here from Italy with a group of people that sell these coats at like these big expos. And he was in New York City. Uh, And it was the first time here doing the expo and he was with this group and he was trying to impress these guys and he overspent and he overextended himself uh, gambling in Atlantic City and he lost all his money. He had no way to pay for his rental car that had to be returned. What do you think I thought about? I know what you're probably thinking. Nice. He gave the guy the money instead of going to the club. I would love to claim that that's what happened. But God's simple truth is, I gave the guy 60 bucks, for which he was grateful. Maybe you feel let down by the result. I let myself down. I certainly let Jesus down. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, there's a story about a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, and this is what it reads. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, He fell down and he died. 
and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. After three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias had gotten for your land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How can you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, if you're curious why I would share a personal failure like this with you, uh, self-awareness is the first step in the growth process of being a Christian. Up until I read that scripture about Ananias and his wife, I believed that I had completed the circle, that my good deed was righteous and pure. I, I don't want to be misunderstood. The fact that I gave the guy, it didn't give the guy the full $250 isn't the problem. In fact, the $60 I gave him was quite generous. The fact that I believed that I did my best while still holding back enough to indulge in my sin, that was the problem. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I didn't get smoked the way Ananias and his wife did. Now, I don't want the message to get misconstrued either. I'm not being hard on myself, nor am I trying to tell anybody that you have to give away every available cent that you make to helping someone else. I'm just trying to highlight that the conviction that someone feels when they are aware of Christ's presence in their life can actually help them make better decisions, more faithful decisions in the future. It's a work in progress, and a strong self-awareness still does not mean that you're perfect. To anyone familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, step four is to make a searching and moral inventory of ourselves. This doesn't just apply to AA. In fact, it doesn't even apply specifically to Christianity. It applies to just being a decent human, a searching moral inventory. Meaning first, get to know yourself. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you do well? What are you awful at? Everyone has deficit. When I was just a little twerp of a freshman in high school, one thing I remember vividly was how big the seniors all looked. I mean, they looked like full-fledged grown-ups. The girls, oh my God, the girls were so beautiful. There was one in particular, Ashley. She was this petite blonde. I mean, she was gorgeous. I was smitten by this girl for sure. She said thank you to me one time when I was holding the door. I think I almost passed out. But you get the picture. She had looks, popularity. She seemed to have it all going for herself. And worst of all, she had no clue who I was. After she graduated high school, that was just it. She eventually just faded out of my memory. Fast forward now to 2003. I was working on a road to Emmaus retreat. And next to me at the table was an attractive woman in her mid-30s attending for the first time. Her name was Ashley. I honestly had no idea it was her at the time. She married into money, she had two children and was divorced, and in her own words was leading an unfulfilling life. Saturday nights on Emmaus retreats can sometimes get emotional. That's generally the time that people begin to open up. Out of the blue, Ashley burst into tears and put her face into my shoulder and began weeping. Not being sure what set her emotions off, I just sat there to be a shoulder to cry on. Eventually she told me what made her so emotional was the embarrassment that only three hours prior was when she learned that Christmas represented the birth of Christ. She was 33 years old and had two children, 
and had no idea that Christmas was the birth of Christ. This was her moment of self-awareness. And while it's easy to roll your eyes and make fun of her story, I don't want you to think about the fact that she was a grown woman and didn't know what Christmas represented. I mean, there are people that are unbelievers, atheists, whatever. They know that Christmas represents the birth of Christ, whether they believe it or not. She honestly didn't know. But I want you to think instead about what the awakening has not only done for her now in the holidays, but the holidays of her children. In fact, in some ways I'm envious because she got to discover the real magic of Christmas by sharing it with her children, not presenting it to them. God always makes a way, and we should never be embarrassed to bring our weaknesses to God. In some ways, it's more important to understand your weaknesses than it is to understand your strengths. If you know what you're weak at, then you can work on it. In the future, we're going to spend at least a couple of episodes on all forms of equality, but I just want to highlight here that it is our strengths and our weaknesses that make the world go round. And as sure as every natural ecosystem is in a delicate balance, so too is humanity, and many different skill sets are required. All right, let's have a quick nature lesson here. You know, it still boggles my mind sometimes why theologians don't pay more attention to nature. Some do, but not enough. Nature tells amazing stories about creation. Now, I admit I'm really stretching to make an interesting point, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Besides domestic animals, humans, and insects, do you know what the most common animal on Earth is? Fish don't count either because they're not on land. The two most common animals are bats and the red fox. Never would I have guessed the fox. Followed by all the nuisance animals, rats, squirrels, mice, all prey of the red fox. And bats eat mostly insects, and they eat more insects than anything else on Earth. So if the animal kingdom has this complex system of balance, wouldn't it stand to reason that humanity would as well, if not more so? Even if you don't understand yet where you fit in, it's okay. The important thing is that you understand that you have value, both to God and society. Now, something we have to be cautious of, though, is not only new Christians, but those who have been at it so long that they become complacent, is that many Christians believe that once they become saved and they become aware of Christ in themselves, that they have a license to rebuke everyone. There is a tendency to see fault or assumed fault in others that they may, that may not know the Lord or may be at a different place in their walk. This unfortunately leads to judgment, and this is not healthy to the kingdom of God. When someone comes to the Lord from a bad place and understands that God has saved them from much, there will be a tendency for these people to just start telling everyone that they're close to of all the things that they're doing in opposition to God's will. The scriptures go on and on about cautioning us about judging one another, but somehow it is done in almost every place in every aspect of life. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord and it was early in my walk, and I was thirsty for every bit of Jesus that I could find. I was reading the Bible as well as books about God and Jesus. In the days of America Online, I even ventured into a Christian chat room one night, and instead of feeding my soul, I found people arguing over meaningless things. Things like why we should be calling Jesus by his Aramaic name, Yeshua, and if you say Jesus, you're wrong. 
or another spirited debate about the location of the nails. Were they in his wrists or were they in his palms? It's important to keep in mind that God has a path that each of us walks, and those paths start and finish in different places for us all. Last week, we spent some time looking at the story of the two men that were crucified with Jesus. I want to take a quick look again. It's Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Essentially, it seems as if this thief had a very short path to walk. Well, maybe. We don't know what the rest of his life was like. What events may have brought him to the point of asking Jesus for mercy in his final moments? But hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. Everybody's call comes in their own time, and it's not for us to try and rush our brothers and sisters because of our own awareness. We don't have the right to impose our will on someone else and call it God's will. This doesn't mean that it's not a blessing to share with someone who may be an unbeliever or somebody who views certain things differently from us. Witnessing is an integral part of evangelism, but it has to be a two-way street, human conservation through human conversation. And this leads me to the final point that I want to make about self-awareness. This one's more difficult for some than it is for others. It's the awareness that we might actually be wrong. There has to be a willingness to listen to your heart, hear what God is trying to tell you. It may be contrary to what you believe or what you've been taught to be true. Many people say and write things, and just because they mention Jesus doesn't make them correct or holy. But people feel ashamed sometimes to question these types of things, almost as if God will be angry that you dared question something that came from God. God wants you to think about him. He wants you to wonder about him. He wants you to discover him. It's okay to ask questions about God. And it's okay to be uncertain about things and question things. You should never take someone's word for anything. What happens when you don't question things is that complacency starts to creep in. Your faith begins to be defined by someone else's relationship with God rather than your own experience. This is how people become indoctrinated, even if the intent isn't bad. At birth, God blesses us with two great gifts that we perceive with, our hearts and our brains. Your brain thinks, your heart feels. Generally, both should be considered in all decision-making, both big and small. If the brain and the heart are not running parallel to one another, it should set off some red flags. But if they're both on the same page, if they're both lined up, you should be making a good and faithful decision. All right, let's recap. We talked about developing our awareness to help us understand who we are to God. We also touched on a few minutes and talked about uh, being aware of Satan as well and the dangers of that and how self-awareness can actually help you limit your exposure to his snares and also the snares of indoctrination. We also talked about the danger of going over the top and getting carried away when you're a new Christian. Uh, ease up on the friends and family. Uh, they will see the change in you and become naturally curious. Self-awareness is the start 
of the spiritual journey. It's just the very beginning. Next week, we're going to head down the path a little bit, and we're going to explore how God shapes us as we grow. We're going to be talking about God's formation. You're not going to want to miss it. As always, thanks for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to help out, give the podcast a like. This will help others to find it and help get the word out. And if you want more information about me or the services that I provide, you could find that over at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. If you want to join the conversation and you have a question or a suggestion on a possible subject you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, that could be left at hcpodcast at corby.com. And that'll do it. I hope everyone has a happy and safe week this week. Remember to be kind to one another, to listen to one another, because human conservation can only come about through human conversations.